So today, oh, oh, he already got the title up there. <laughs> I, I, tell, I keep telling people what I was wanting to call this sermon. They're like, that's the stupidest title ever. <laughs> it's all about that praise, about that praise, yeah. <laughs> no devils, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so um, today uh, it's a message I've had on my heart for a while, uh, just this idea of, of uh, you know, as a worship leader, it is near and dear in my heart, just, you know, just from that perspective, but there's really just a, a part of our walk with God that, that is so, uh, it's, it's 24-7, and, and, and it's just every day in every situation, and, uh, and that part is, is worship and praise and and uh, you, you probably heard this, this term, lifestyle worship, and worship that goes beyond church and music and singing. And, and that's sort of what I want to talk about today. Um, let's open up in Psalms chapter 13. It says, How long, Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will the enemy triumph over me? As you can imagine, David's in kind of this rock-bottom place. He's crying out to God in desperation. And yes, he's a man after God's own heart, um, but he's also deeply in touch with the discouragement and, and disappointment that's in his life. Um, he feels like he's just left out in the cold, like, like God's just nowhere to be found, and, and that's very evident in this passage. Growing up, I found God in, in a lot of places. Uh, you know, I found him, you know, at summer camp when I was in youth group. I found him, you know, whenever I was on a mission trip. Uh, on the day I got married and uh, on the day my daughter was born, I mean, I, I definitely found God in those moments. Um, but there, there can be many times where God seems nowhere to be found. When, when you're like, God, God might be in your life, uh, but he's, he's nowhere in mine. Like, I, I just, I don't know, I, I just don't feel him. You might even um, know you're filled with the Spirit of God, uh, but you don't sense, sense him. You don't, you, don't, um, you don't feel like you understand what's going on and, 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 and what he's doing. Uh, this usually happens through tragedy or crisis, like, uh, like the loss of a loved one or, or a disappointment, um, something you might have been counting on in life and it not working out the way you were hoping it to, and maybe a fear that something bad is going to happen in the near future, or, or maybe a frustration with a relationship. Um, it comes in many different forms, but it, it always does come. So the question is, what do we do in those moments? Um, where do we go and who do we turn to for help? How do we find God when things get hard? In Psalm chapter 13, it continues. It says, uh, David says, Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. As somber as this is, I think it, it actually does have a point of encouragement. It's never a bad thing to pour out our heart before God. 
He isn't afraid of our doubts. He isn't afraid of our fears and our frustrations. And the, the Psalms engage every single one of these emotions, not just the joyful, happy ones. When, when you read the Psalms, you don't just see the writers um, just putting on this, this joyful, uh, inauthentic smile like in, in their Sunday best. Um, they write from, from this genuine place where they say, this is me. This is how I really feel. As a worship leader, um, I, I don't really count a successful worship service as the one where, where I see everyone just singing out and, and shouting and praising and lifting their hands. And, you know, I, I, I love to see that. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's no fun leading worship when I'm just, you know, I feel like everyone's just looking at me and, and you know, it's, it's like, oh, this, is, this isn't going over. But a successful worship service for me is when something happens inside of us, when uh, it's not about this outward display. It's, it's when you see, when you get, get real with God and, 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 and don't just go through the motions of, of what you're used to doing on Sundays. Um, David, being a man after God's own heart, understood this, and that's why he wasn't afraid to get real with God. As the psalm continues, um, we see this, this really crazy transition uh, where something just changes, where, where you see this, this, um, this transition happen. And in verse 5, it says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now, how can a psalm that begins with, how long will you forget me? How long have I been abandoned? End with, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Sometimes I really, I, I just have a hard time getting my head around this because it gets, it, it goes against what you would think the, the natural human response would be when you're complaining um, and, and, and just that things aren't going well. <clears throat> There's a moment where we make a decision and an opportunity that awaits when we choose how we're going to respond when things get hard. In this book, um, uh, Carrie Patterson wrote a book called Crucial Conversations. Um, he talks about this, this situation we find ourselves in where the outcome of, of that situation can usually go one or two ways. And uh, depending on how we respond, uh, it, moments like, you know, with our spouse or boss or, or something like that, um, where we think, okay, this issue of tension can either become good or bad. Uh, it can get better or worse, depending on the next thing that I say here or the next thing that I do. A crucial conversation, um, according to Patterson, is where the stakes are high and op opinions vary and e emotions are, are really, uh, they run high and they're, they're strong. It's our human tendency to look, f look out for ourselves in, in those situations versus um, our ability to understand and connect with the other person's interests and um, where they're coming from. Uh, and, and, and that can ultimately either make or break the situation. Patterson says the mistake most of us make in our crucial conversation is we believe that we have to choose between telling the truth and keeping a friend. I feel like oftentimes this is exactly how we approach um, our relationship with God. We think that, but if I tell the truth, if I tell him how I really feel, he'll, I, I might lose favor. 
I, he might not love me the same or as much. Well, that's not what we see David doing here. He's, he's, he's laying it all out there. It's, it, he's not holding back. He's, he's saying, God, this is, this is me. This is how I feel. And, and I, I need you in that. We're going to spend most of our time today in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if, uh, if you do have a Bible or phone, we'll have the verse on the screen too. But um, you can uh, expect to camp out here a little bit. In this passage, we see King Jehoshaphat, who is one of the few good kings in Israel. And uh, he really tried to keep the, uh, keep the Israelites on track when it seemed like they were drifting away from God. And uh, if, you've, if you've read the whole te- Old Testament, you know that this happens over and over again. Time after time, we have kings that, that came in and they introduced idolatry and, and then the Israelites go crazy and then God's like, what are you guys doing? And, and it was just this never-ending cycle. Jehoshaphat was not one of those kings, though. This passage takes place after the 12 tribes of Israel split into two. There was the northern kingdom, uh, which was the one that rebelled, and then uh, also the southern kingdom, which was the kingdom of Judah, which is where Jerusalem was. And uh, here in this chapter, we have an instance where a large army from another country uh, called Edom was, was gathering to try to, to basically obliterate the kingdom of Judah. And uh, we're going to start here in verse 2. It says, Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah, The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. They came and inquired of the Lord. Worship is asking the Lord for help. Uh, You wouldn't normally think this about worship, uh, that that this this is what worship is, but it has to do with us acknowledging God in his power and his authority and and his wisdom in, in our life. When you have faith that he has the the solution and you don't, this is the true definition of worship. When you have faith that he has the solution and you don't, you are in the right place to be humble. It is when we say, God, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I know that you do. But the challenge is when we often are tempted to do the opposite. Uh, we, we try to come uh, up with a strategy on our own where we try to figure out uh, why we got here and how we can get out of it. Uh, isn't that true? Sometimes the enemy will even come in and say to us, this is all your fault. This situation you're in, it's all because of you. How could you ask God for help? This is all you're doing and it's really just up to you to figure out how to get out, to, get out of it. God's not going to help. Friends, this, this is... This is quite a lie, and I feel like this is probably one of the biggest things that, that a lot of Christians struggle with. God is for you, and he wants to be the solution to your problem. I'm pretty sure that Jehoshaphat had no clue what the answer was when he came before the Lord, when they, when they inquired of the Lord. He had no idea what the solution to his problem was going to be. All he was able to do was was come and say, God, what are we going to do? 
How are we going to face this army? There are too many of them. So in verse 5, it continues, it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard. So here they are assembled, and all of Judea is gathered, and Jehoshaphat opens his mouth, and there's this amazing amount of anticipation, and he, and he begins to pray. He says in verse 6, Lord God, of our, ancestors, of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty powerful thing to pray for someone who is feeling pretty alone and not sure how this dire situation is going gonna, is gonna to turn out. And so in verse 7, Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? You ever think it's interesting when you're reading in the Bible and, and you hear someone ask God a question as if they're trying to remind him about something? Or say, hey, didn't you promise this? Uh, what happened with that? Like, what, why are you not remembering this thing? And, uh, and, and it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of funny because I, I really don't think God forgets those things. Um, the only thing the Bible does say God forgets is our sin. Uh, it says that uh, in, in Isaiah 43, 25, it says that he remembers them no more. I think just Jehoshaphat is actually asking God uh, kind of like rhetorical questions. He says, who can stand up to you, God? There's no one who can stand up to you. There's nothing that can come against you. You're the only true and living God. You're the one who promised this land to your descendants, to Abraham, your friend. It says in verse 8, They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple and bear, that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. It's really interesting. Um, they were kind of like rehearsing this, this idea of calamity happening. They were rehearsing to remember, to recognize who God is. They knew that, that bad things were going to come, plague and famine, and, uh, and, and all those things were, were, were just unavoidable. Yet they built this sanctuary to be a place where they could come and cry out, in their moment of distress. It's, it's really bad thinking as Christians to, uh, to, to think that, that we're never going to experience difficulties, that we will never face tragedy, because God will not fix all of our problems with us, without us having to, to go through them. In fact, what he does do is he uses these problems as a way for showing himself faithful. Some people preach a gospel that sort of like emphasizes this idea that, that, that God only wants to bless us and he only has good things for us and, and uh, prosperity and just this idea of we're only going to be overcomers in this world. And like 
it's not that being an overcomer is, is not what God has for us. Uh, but being an overcomer means you overcame something um, that, was, that was really hard. And that, and that ultimately, that's what Jesus does for us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He overcame the work of the enemy in your life. And as you embrace it and accept it and hold on to it, you will be tested on it. There will be challenges on whether or not you believe that Jesus is the overcomer and that you can overcome in your life too. How many of you have ever dieted before? And you, there's always varying levels of success, right? When you diet, you have to have a plan. And you have to have a game plan when you're going to think, this is what I'm eating, this is what I'm going to stick to. And also you got to think ahead, like, what if, you know, someone brings cupcakes to work? What's my strategy going to be? <laughs> you, can't just, you can't just not have that thought through. And, uh, you know, imagine, you know, someone invites you to their house later on to, to watch the Golden State Warriors lose. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and you go there and, and, and you show up and there's, there's a huge plate full of double chocolate chip cookies and, and a tray of hot wings and Doritos and dip. And you're like, shoot, I didn't know this stuff was going to be here. I guess I'll just have to have a plate full. And, and <laughs> there's, there's no, no way around it. Uh, without a doubt, if you walk into a situation without a pre-planned strategy, you're not going to be dieting for very long. Um, you, you honestly may have to be that guy who shows up and you're like, oh, cookies? Huh, well, I've got my carrots, no worries. <laughs> I mean, it's no fun, but you just have to approach it that way sometimes. You have to decide in advance, okay, when this happens, this is how I'm going to respond. I think this is what sort of Jehoshaphat was doing when he was, when he was uh, speaking in, in these verses about when they built the, the, this, this sanctuary of worship. He says, we know we may face these things, but we're going to come to you. We're going to cry out to you in our distress, and we will overcome. When things get hard, where do we turn? It's not natural or easy to, to, to do that, to, to uh, turn to something that, that you don't necessarily think is going to be the easiest, easiest alternative. But in the end, it's, 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 it's so much better. We have to have a plan and decide in advance that we will go to the sanctuary when the famine comes. When it's easier to turn to our own strength and say, I've got this, I can just wing it on my own. When worship is really the opposite of that. It's when we say, God, God has this. God is the one that has this. In verse 10, it says, But now... Here are men, of, men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade. When they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. So how they, how are they, how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. This is the, the thing I, I want us to all 
take away from today. Worship is keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and not on the solution. And, and not on the situation. Worship is keeping our eyes on Jesus and not on the situation that we're in. It's so easy to get caught up in our circumstances instead of, instead of just focusing on the author of what the solution ultimately is. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Consider him, ponder him, think about him, meditate on him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's an awesome passage of scripture. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we don't have to, to lose heart and grow weary. Jehoshaphat was describing this dire and what seemed to be ultimately utterly hopeless situation. It seemed that there was no way it was, it was really going to work out good for them. We see the same exact thing happen all throughout the Bible. We, uh, we see stories about people who, who were facing situations and trials and difficulties that could never be overcome on their own strength. We see Moses, uh, Gideon, with the 300 um, select few that God supplied to overcome the, the, the Midianites. Uh, David facing the giant Goliath. Um, Ruth, who was alone and without people to help her and support her in that situation that God placed her in. Jonah, who was running away from the thing that God was calling him to. And then Mary and Joseph, who uh, were finding themselves in the middle of this, this stable with, with only the promise of, of an angel to keep themselves and their eyes fixed on what God was doing in that situation. When we keep our eyes on the situation instead of Christ, we close ourselves off to the miracle he has for us. And we take our eyes away from him and stay focused on the situation. We, we ultimately rob God of the opportunity to enable us to be overcomers, just like we see all throughout the Bible. He wants to give us the solution, but it may not necessarily be the solution that we, we seek and, and, and desire. When I graduated college, I, I had a, a, a degree in music and, and uh, minors uh, that I was working on in biology and chemistry. I was going to take a year off and save money to move down to Arizona to, to um, go to Arizona State University. And um, I, I had a, a few more prerequisites I needed to do. My, my plan was to go to dental school. I mean, ultimately, that was what I wanted to do with my life. Ever since I was probably 15 years old, I wanted to be a dentist. And that's what I, I went to college for. Uh, I was preparing to go on to dental school. And I had about, I don't know, a couple of classes or prerequisites I still needed to take. And uh, I was going to do that in Arizona and then, and then go to dental school there. Uh, but during that year, after I graduated, I really felt God tugging on my heart to go on a mission trip. And... I, I, I heard about a church in a, in a town about 30 minutes away uh, that they're sending a team down to Guatemala 
And uh, it, it's funny because that was ultimately the church. Uh, my, my wife and her family were going there. Um, and we didn't know each other at that time. But I, I got connected with a team leader. And uh, he, I talked to him. And he was actually the guy who ended up marrying us five years later. So this trip was sort of like this, this thing that God really just started a huge I mean, you, you ever look back at your life and you're like, man, if I didn't do that thing, how much of my life would be different? And how me just saying, God, okay, I'm going to do this thing. How much more happened because I just did that one thing? Uh, and so I talked to Tom, the, the t- uh, trip leader. And he was like, Corey, you have to go on this trip. It's going to be awesome. Uh, you can have a great time. It was a medical, dental, and uh, construction trip. There's about 30 people going. Uh, I get in touch with the dentist going, and he, he just t- had me totally excited. I was like, okay, this, he, he said, you're going to have so much fun, get so much experience, uh, you need to, to come. So it was about uh, $3,200, I think, to go, which was pretty much all the money I had saved up at that point to move to Arizona. But I didn't care. I, I really felt like this is, this is what I needed to do. So finally, the time comes. Uh, the first day, the, sen- the, the dentist says, okay, Corey, come over here. So I'm, this guy needs this tooth pulled. I'm going to do it, watch my technique, and see how I do this. And then he also needs this one pulled right next to it. You're going to do that one. <laughs> I was like, floored. I mean, that was like, I mean, you'd think that would be the grossest thing ever. But at the time, I probably wouldn't be so excited now. But um, uh, it, was, it was just a blast. Our team met um, in the evenings for, for worship and team devotion, uh, devotions together. And uh, during one of those nights toward the end of the trip, um, this, this um, girl named Annie was leading this old song called I Am Amazed by You. Um, and during that song, I just, I really felt just a stillness in my heart um, and God just simply speaking to me that uh, he wanted me to commit the next season of my life to serving him in, in, in missions. I was like, what? I, I really didn't know what to say to that. I, I had so much fun on that trip. I mean, I got to pull teeth. I got to, you know, stitch up all these guys' gums that I just, I had so much trouble getting the roots out. And it was like, I'm so sorry. I hope the Novocaine lasts longer than... <laughs> but I was like, I had these plans and I was like set. I had no idea the things God had in store. And the answer to each one of my million questions, all I knew was the next step. And, and that's it. And, and that was to just go. I hate that about God. <laughs> I want to know the whole end game plan. Like what's going to happen? How is this going to turn out? And, uh, and, and what, I, what, I, what I'm getting myself into. God just wants us to trust him with that step. I had no idea that through me going off to to YWAM to do a YWAM school that that would lead me to joining staff full-time as a missionary in Australia, which would lead me to going to seminary and to ultimately be working in full-time ministry. I, I guarantee if God had told me all those things right at the start, I would have just run away and not have had anything to do with it. That's why God doesn't do the whole thing at once. Worship is an opportunity for us to allow God to lead us when we don't know what to do. It says, I don't have the answer. 
I don't know how this thing is going to work out, but you do. And that's enough. Corey Ten Boom said, keep your eyes on the world and you will be distressed. Keep your eyes on yourself and you will be depressed. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you will be at rest. Continuing on here in verse 3 in 2 Chronicles. It says, All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Je- Jehiel, the son of Metaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. Now, why would we need to know this lineage? Like, you ever wonder that? Why, you know, you're just reading along, having a really great time in the Word, and God's just like, you're highlighting like crazy, and then you get to like 15 verses of lineage, and you're like, oh, this is boring. Why am I reading all this stuff? Um, Jehaziel uh, was a Levite. And if you know anything about the Old Testament Scripture, you know that the Levites were the worshipers in the temple. They're the worshipers, the, the leaders of worship in, in, the, in the temple of God. Asaph was a writer of Psalms. If you ever look at your Bible in Psalms, it says the author of that Psalm. And I don't know the exact count, but Asaph wrote a huge number of Psalms. It wasn't just David who wrote the book, wrote in the book of Psalms. Asaph was a writer of psalms who was an appointed worship leader during the time of David. He was a worship leader for the children of Israel. And here, God is using this lineage, um, this line of worshipers, to begin to speak to the crowd of people. How crazy is that? That that God would be that involved in, in the beauty of how he's trying to orchestrate things. To, to work it out in, like that in that situation. Worship is not an outpouring from God. It's, it is us pouring out our hearts to God. In Psalms 13, when we read earlier, uh, you see David pouring out his heart. He says, How long, Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long must I have sorrow in my heart? How long my enemy triumph over me? He's pouring out his his. his his entire heart, his life, his difficulties, his trials. God loves that stuff. He loves to hear your heart. But it isn't just the monologue. It's not just a time for us to come together and for us to just complain and for, for, for us to sing some nice songs and, 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 and have this, this one-way conversation. It's, it's a dialogue. Worship is a dialogue. Worship is something that you enter into where God begins to hear your voice and hear your heart, and as he hears your heart, then he begins to express his heart to you. He begins to pour out his heart to you, which is why David could then answer in that psalm, I'm going to sing to God because I know that I hear his voice, and I know that he is good. But it requires us to engage in worship. I know sometimes that when you're facing very difficult and tragic and even trying situations in our lives, it's tempting to just stand there and not engage. 
It's tempting to just disengage. It's it, it, just to say, my heart just can't handle it. My heart hurts too much. I can't dive in. I don't trust God. I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm not sure what's happening. And then you just pull yourself back. You pull yourself back from what God has for you, his purpose, and ultimately his plan. It's a really bad decision because you're pulling yourself away from the solution that you ultimately seek. It takes faith to worship God. It requires, it takes faith to worship him through trial and tragedy uh, because it's, it's almost, it's like it requires a, a little bit of a suspicion. Like, like you're suspicious to believe that God actually really is at work behind the scenes. Uh, I, know, I know that you might think he's not. You might think he's, he's nowhere, actually. You, you think he really can't be found. And yet faith rises in you when you lift your hands, when you sing the song and you worship. I remember this happening to me when I was uh, in YWAM in Australia. I know going to Australia has this sort of uh, really exciting allure that, that many people might dream about. And um, I want to speak past that for a second and, and, and focus on something else here because this season was very hard. Um, when I got on the plane the first time, I had so much anticipation and excitement for what God was going to do when I went there. After a few, a few weeks of being, uh, being there, I was, I was growing extremely anxious, frustrated, and, and even disappointed. I was 10,000 miles from home, and I felt like I'd given up so much to go there and was feeling like God had just ripping away all of my dreams and my goals in life. I just wanted to go home and get on with it. I, it seemed like all of my friends there were experiencing uh, some really amazing things. Like God was just rocking their world. I was just, I was envious and I felt like I was missing the boat somehow. I was, I was there for the first time as a part of a six-month missionary training program in uh, Youth with a Mission called a Discipleship Training School. And a part of that school that I was in, um, we would go camping out in the Australian outback in a bush for about two weeks. And um, it was hot. It was bugs that you can't even imagine. Uh, spiders, cicada flies that were literally this big. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I had a friend, he was one of my Australian friends, he threw a knife at one, like total crocodile Dundee style. Threw a knife at one and it split in half. And it was just crazy. During, um, while, we, while we were there, we had, you know, team worship times in the evening, and um, during that trip where we were camping in the jungle, the worship leader was leading from a guitar with a small campfire going, and I'll never forget the atmosphere. It was crazy hot, steamy, bugs chirping, and, but there's something about that night. God's presence was definitely there, except I just was not feeling it. I was like, what is the deal with me? Why can I not engage? Why do I not feel like it? I was standing next to this guy who was just crying. He was bawling, worshiping God. His hands were lifted. He was just, I was like, wow. How come I don't feel like that? I was like, okay, God, seriously, why, 
am I not getting any of this? I, I, in a moment of frustration, I felt like this, this still small voice was, simple, was just speaking to me saying, just lift up your hands and worship me and you'll be there too. And I fought it. I was like, I'm not doing that. I, I was so stubborn. I'm like, God, I'm not doing it. I was, I was, I've been around Christians my whole life growing up in church that just faked it and they just were not genuine. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to be real. And this went on for about 45 minutes. I even, I even went for a walk away from everybody because I just, I didn't, I, I didn't want to take that step and I didn't want, I, I didn't do what I felt like God was telling me to do in my heart. Finally, I came back and I just, I gave in. I went back to the group and they were still singing. And it, I just, I, I started to sing. And the moment I lifted my hands, I, I started to cry. And, and I, I'm, I cried. It was like, what the heck has just happened to me? God hit me like a ton of bricks that night. All I needed was to take a step, a simple step. And God was there waiting for me, waiting to pour himself out. He just wanted me to worship. And in that moment, I felt peace. It was like this tender embrace from my loving Heavenly Father that just wanted me to be in the moment with him. That night, things in my life started to just drastically look different, more clear. I, I wasn't so worried about what I couldn't figure out, uh, the unanswered questions. It was just peace. This happened in a moment of worship, in a moment of surrender, in a moment of submission, when I finally was able to say, God, I don't understand, but I don't have to. I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to trust you with everything, everything else. Back to verse 15 in, in 2 Chronicles. It said, the Spirit of the Lord speaking through Jehaziel said, Listen, King of Jehoshaphat, or King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Pretty cool, pretty awesome stuff. But man, when you're in that situation, it's extremely difficult to embrace that. The battle is not yours, but God's. We think we have to fight it, but it's not what God has in mind. Verse 16 says, Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up by the, pa by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerule. God knew right where the enemy was. They didn't know where the enemy was, but he knew exactly where they were, and he was telling them, here's where you go. This is what you do. This is what's going to happen if you just trust me. He's not giving them the end results. He's just telling them, this is the next step. I hate that, don't you? <laughs> you will not have you will not have to fight this fight, this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I was just thinking about how, if there was ever a, a, a count on how many times in the Old Testament it says, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you. 
I think it's going to be quite a lot. I mean, I feel like there's times where you just read it. It's like, didn't I just read that? How many times they had to hear that? Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Worship is our willingness to stand firm and to trust that God is with us. It's not an escape from our problems. Worship is engaging in faith, believing that he is here with you regardless of how you feel, regardless of what the situation is. With faith in your heart, you can lift up your hands to the Lord and surrender to him in a moment of worship and submission. God's presence being that he is here and with us is what worship is. It's, it is faith that he is here even though we don't see it, that we don't feel it. It brings us a unique perspective, his presence. It reorients our perspective. We don't see it, we don't understand it, but somehow in worship, our perspective changes. In Psalm 73, this is a psalm from Asaph, the, the Levite, who was a descendant of Jehaziel. Uh, in verse 2, it says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. Sounds like some crazy complaining. They look better than me. They don't have to struggle. They've got it so easy. <laughs> this is a believer in God who is, who is wrestling over the fact that people who don't serve him, they don't seem to have it as hard. They don't go through the same difficulties. Their lives seem easy. They don't have to fight all this junk. And he pours out his heart to God and continues in verse three, 13 saying, Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence all day long. I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. I mean, it's like, not only is he complaining about how good other people got it, he's like, and I'm trying so hard and I'm still not. I, I'm so pure. I've, I've, I've done all these things. And then in verse 17, it says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. When he entered the sanctuary, that's when he got perspective. He got perspective in the sanctuary in a moment of worship, and he saw the big picture. He understood what the war was really about. Worship reorients us. It changes our perspective. When we worship, we don't eliminate our problems. We face them with strength that only comes from his presence. Back in Second Chronicles, uh, verse 18, it says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophet, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing, the Lord, sing to the Lord 
and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. When reading this, I was, I was thinking, I was wondering what the singers might have been thinking um, when Jehoshaphat says, okay, you guys are the ones who are going to go out in front today. I'm pretty sure that the Israelites normally didn't fight their battles like that. I, I think they fought normally with the guys with swords and spears in front. Um, uh, but this is Jehoshaphat saying, okay, God, I heard you. We've honored you. We've inquired of you. You've spoken. So I'm going to do what you've said. And I'm going to send out the singers in the front of the battle. But can you imagine the singers? <laughs> you sure, Jehoshaphat? I mean, we're just singers. We're just musicians. We're really not that strong. <laughs> Musician joke. <laughs> See what he says here. He says, I want the singers to go out in front. I want them to praise the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And notice what they're singing. They're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They were singing a song indicating that they had faith. They were giving thanks for what God was going to do. And they didn't even know what God was going to do. When we worship in this way, I think it helps us understand the essence and the substance of what true worship really is. It's giving thanks to God before you see the solution. It's about trusting him and engaging him. It's about grabbing a hold of him no matter what your emotions or circumstances in a situation. As you do, it is where the true essence of worship is found. You realize that it is not about you. Everything we face and experience and go through, it's all about him. Uh, remember the story of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 when they were in prison and they were thrown in jail for preaching Jesus and in the jail cell they were um, there and at midnight all of a sudden they're like we just need to pray and worship we need to have a worship service right here in jail you know why they were doing it I don't think they were thinking to themselves, hey, maybe if we, if we are really awesome and we have this really awesome worship service, then God will, will, will get us out of here, break us out. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily the case, but God's not a God of penance, and he's not impressed by our righteousness. And uh, for those of you coming from a Catholic background, um, it's, 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 it's important for us to get our heads around this. The more good we do, and the more flamboyant and religious we look, it does not impress God in the slightest. God isn't up there saying, man, if they had just made it through that full day of fasting, then maybe I would have met them a little bit better. But, or if they just sang 12 songs instead of 10 at that worship night, man, then I could have answered their prayer. I don't think that's what's happening. And I don't think that, that that's what Paul and Silas were doing. And this is extremely important for us to understand. It's not the character of God. And I think some of you today really do need to hear this because we can carry so much guilt in our hearts and feelings of unbelief 
that God actually does have good things for us and that we're missing out on that somehow because we don't think we've done enough. The character of God is mercy, grace, and everlasting and unconditional love. Paul and Silas were doing something that, that had been embedded into them from history and from their experience with God. And they were, they were relying on something that was stronger than any chain and stronger than any jail cell. Their motivation to worship was something they could control and not whatever their circumstance was. The essence of worship comes in the midst of crisis and uncertainty. When you're walking over the hillside and you're walking into battle and you know that those guys are coming at you with swords and spears and you're just walking over there singing. You're singing, give thanks to the Lord. What's that old song? Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. I don't think that's what they were singing, but the words are there, so maybe. <laughs> Who wrote that? Paul Balash? Something? He stole it. <laughs> so how does this story end? In verse 20, or verse 22, it says, They began to sing and praise the Lord, set ambush, and the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were all defeated. God brought some sort of chaos to them. He set ambushes. What happened was when the Israelites came over the hill, they, just, they saw dead bodies everywhere. The army had already been defeated. I mean, talk about shock. When you're, especially if you're a singer and you're not sure if, you know, like you see those, those, those you know, like Lord of the Rings movies or something where they're like going into battle and there's 10,000 troops over the hill and then it's like, oh, that didn't last long. <laughs> That's not the case. God defeated the entire army before they even got there. In verse 26, it says, On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Barakah to this day. The name Barakah comes from a Hebrew word, a Hebrew word, Barak. It means to bless or have adoration. It's a verb. It's an action, something we do. What was once a valley of fear and uncertainty was turned into a valley of praise and blessing. In Psalm 84, I'm not going to read it, but it talks about this when it describes going through the valley of Bacah. This valley is a very barren place. But when you pass through the valley with God, when you engage him, when you sing out to him, when you begin to worship and surrender and submit to him, he makes it a place of springs, it says in Psalm 84. He makes it a place of blessing and praise. Worship acknowledges that it is God who fights for us. We are helpless on our own. He is our only source of strength. And God will meet you right where you are with his power and his presence if you commit to worship in the midst of adversity. When it doesn't seem like the natural human response 
that's the time to do it. I'd like to invite the band up. And we're going to do this together as a church. Just worship and praise. But as they come, I really feel like this message is for particular ones in here today. Some of you who are facing very serious stuff, a prospect of a failing or ending marriage, incredible disappointment at work, discouragement because of where you are in life, someone who might have hurt you or wounded you tremendously, and you aren't sure if you can get over it. Some of you are in such financial crisis that that you don't even know how you're going to afford groceries this week. And there's such trouble and anxiety. I believe that as you enter into a moment of worship, as we close this service, knowing there's lots of stuff, lots of things going on, I believe God still wants to speak to you today. I believe he wants to make himself known to you today. And as we sing this song together, I just, I want you to to find yourself in that place of worship. To just lift up your voice, lift up your heart, and just find yourself there in his presence. Uh, and, and and, 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 And tell him how you're feeling. Be honest and real with God because he wants to hear. He wants to hear your heart. He doesn't mind. He loves those things. But find him here as we worship. And if you would like someone to to agree with you in prayer, I'd like to invite you to come forward. The elders uh, will be here to meet with you and and pray with you and, and encourage you and pray over that thing that you're desiring to see that miracle in your life for. Let's stand and sing together.